2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two to talk about the defense and uh, get us some pass rush information, which is a lot of fun from this game, individual player discussion, the mailbag. We're doing it all with Gabe Ferguson.
3: Gabe, how you doing, buddy? Hi, Ken. I'm doing well. Good to be back. Um, excited to talk a little bit about these individual players and uh, this pass rush in particular, because it was, it's was it been fun to see that develop over the course of the season, and this was probably one of the best games we've seen out of it.
2: All right, let's make sure we get some business out of the way first. He's at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. Uh, does the situation room with our friend Jordan Coe, who's at Raven Sit Room. Uh, outstanding show. If you haven't listened to it, please give it a try. It's on Film Study Baltimore. It's outstanding. Uh, these guys are consistent guests on here. You hear Gabe, you hear Jordan on the show. You know how good they are. They're very good together, too. Talking about the game immediately afterwards, giving you uh Kind of some some very timely reactions to the game, usually on Sunday night, right?
3: Yeah, we try to do that when our, when our schedules allow it. Um, we had a reaction, immediate reaction after last night's game, um, so that should be up today um, on on the website at Film Study Baltimore, and then we um, also, you know, on uh, Spotify, other other podcasts, download options as well. Um, and then I, I mentioned it in the first episode, but we, we also have kind of like a mid, mid, um, year, mid season, um, podcast kind of looking ahead to what we expecting out, out of the second half of the season. So I think that one's kind of a, a good general discussion about where the Ravens are at this point.
2: All right. Outstanding stuff. We take care of a piece of business here too. Please, uh, want to thank our sponsor liquid death, the water that will murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. And they've been good to us. Uh, you'll be doing us some good if you do. Uh, let's jump right into it and talk about the pass rush here. You started to talk about some elements of deception up front. Uh, maybe we can start there, which is a little bit uh, uh, the opposite way I normally do it. But, uh, you know, I, I talk about the, the three major elements of being of deception being off-ball blitzes, stunts, and simulated pressures. You had some observations about simulated pressures.
3: Yeah, I think... Um... Simulated pressures are, are something that's not necessarily new to the Ravens' defense. You know, we've seen Wink Martindale do a, a lot of it in the in the past, um, but it's it's something that really makes it gives a challenge to the offensive line when they're when they're calling their protections. You know, you think you have you know maybe an overload blitz coming from from one side, but then you have um, you know, a couple of players that were showing blitz and drop into coverage, and you have someone who was off the line of scrimmage come from the other side, and a lot of times he can be a free rusher or Set up, you know, rushes to have one on one, and ideally you have offensive linemen who aren't blocking anybody. That, that's kind of the purpose of of mm-hmm. setting up um, those kind of pressured looks. And and when it works, and it, it works for perfection, then then you have a really easy, clean pressure on a quarterback that can often lead to a sack. So it's something that you know we've seen Mike McDonald do. I think to a varying extent, some some games he's done more than others. Um, I think it depends on you know the quarterback they're. Facing maybe the the weapons that are available to them, and and I, I mean there are probably a lot of factors that go into decision making. But I think now that you know we talked a little bit about in the first in the first episode about you know Tyus Bowser coming back, and, and I think he's a key to this along with Roquan Smith, two mm-hmm. players who are adding you know a, an element of ability to both rush the passer, be good coming in blitzes or coming off the edge with Tyus Bowser, or that also a very comfortable ability to drop into coverage and and take, um, you know, whether it's somebody in, in man or, you know, drop into a zone that allows you so many options and much more ab- availability to run these kinds of pressure looks. And I think that's going to be a feature of the, the defense in the second half. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, we've we have seen a fair amount all season. We saw five simulated pressures as I defined them. Let me be clear about that. I, for, there's a lot of one man drops. It's very common to show five at the line of scrimmage and drop one. Oftentimes the same linebacker covering a tight end, but other times it can be from either end. You, you, you drop one player, um, simulated pressures to me are when you show more at the line of scrimmage, usually show five or six, you might drop two. You can also show four, drop two and rush two from somewhere else. I mean, that's a that's a common Steelers trick as a uh, set up a zone blitz that way where you overload one side with more than they can block. Uh, but simulated pressures, they had five in this game of two plus. Um, they got one of them was the was the uh, a pressure by Smith. So that was good. The other was a sack by Humphrey where they dropped both edges and they still got a sack by Humphrey with a, with a pressure coming off slot corner as well. So they they had both. Uh tackles confused on that play, obviously, and unable to to make the block they wanted. Uh, but they gave up some plays, too. So uh, a, a total of 24 yards, it seems, on five plays uh, with Sim pressure. So uh, not the most we've seen. We've certainly seen more. And if you go back to previous days with um, Martindale, He loved to put six in the line of scrimmage and drop multiple guys, drop two, drop three, sometimes even drop four. They've had some four, four blitzes, which means they rush four and they, and they drop four. And it often means they got the the other two from somewhere else in terms of a blitz to, to make that happen. So uh, it's, it's not something, everything with that we've seen so far from McDonald seems to be a little more moderated than it was with Martindale, maybe in a good way, maybe, maybe, not quite. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of happy with where we are so far with modulation, but definitely takes less risk with numbers. He he takes less risk per game in total blitzes. We'll get to that in the morning, in, in a moment. And, and he takes less risk with simulated pressure as well.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I think there was a few times where Wing Martindale got a little out of control with with it where you would have, you know, like you said, three or four guys dropping into coverage. And Mm -hmm. I often felt like they weren't actually being effective in the way they were dropping because they were condensed. They weren't really getting into, you know, the lanes They seemed often confused as to where they were supposed to be dropping to. And I think, you know, if you're confusing your defense, that's the opposite of what you want to be doing. You want to be confusing the quarterback and not not making it more complicated for your own defense.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, and and it it it's not necessarily even just confusion. Or it can it can certainly be that. And I don't want to tell you that, you know, it's some of it's vision, and some of it's just where you're starting from. If you start yeah. in the A gap and your and your drop, your job is to drag the seam against the slot receiver. You've put that player at an enormous disadvantage, to say the least. You've, and sadly, that is exactly what the Ravens asked. Of I think it was Mosley dropping out of the line of scrimmage on the play that lost them their playoff spot in 2017 on the fourth and 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so they had Tyler Boyd. They were trying to drag the thing and Dalton threw right over. I think it was Mosley, and uh, and for a nice easy completion. And so you 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 just you can't do it too much. It's nice you could do it if your if your responsibilities are you know these short middle zones or you know hook curl whatever. You, you, you you know, you can, you can do it on a short middle zone. You can't really do much going to, uh, uh, if, if you want somebody dragging the seam from the line of scrimmage, it just doesn't work as well.
3: Yeah. And, you know, there was a play from this season that comes to mind and, and I don't know if it was just a player being in the wrong position, but the, the, I think it was the second touchdown to Tyreek Hill in in the Miami game when you had the two safeties or three safeties right there at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that was. And hilarious. you had Jalen Armour Davis isolated um, against Tyreek Hill, and they looked like they were just trying to, you know, do this chaotic, chaotic. We don't, you don't know where we're coming from. But then what they ended up doing was just having, you know, a wide open receiver because of it, and he, and Davis had no help over top, and it was just that was just a. a a bad example of how that kind of design can can go wrongly. So, I th- I think I don't know if that's McDonald like learning from a mistake or you know always having at least somebody on the back end to cover up um, in in those schemes.
2: That's actually Hamilton who learned from his mm-hmm. mistake there. He was yeah. supposed to be back on that play, but uh, that was the sixty yarder up the left sideline to Tyree Kill. That was that was an embarrassment. But uh, hey, I, by the way, Harbaugh talked a little bit about that today, and he said doesn't usually doesn't usually talk about this right after the game with the player, but he said. Really loving the way he's playing basically I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He had a rough go of it for the first couple of games, but he remained open to what he did wrong and this sort of thing referring to coachability, referring to you know being able to to take the um uh responsibility for what he'd done and the and the uh uh you know some heat from his teammates maybe uh, obviously there are some teammates who are gonna to get very upset about that. there's other teammates who are uh you know gonna try and coach him in the moment and also want to know that he can be uh told what he needs to do. You know, I would I would expect a Chuck Clark to want to be able to tell Hamilton you did the wrong thing. If you're Marcus Williams, you don't need to beat the crap out of Kyle Hamilton. He's gonna be hopefully your teammate for five years. You know, you, you you want him to be a hell of a player, but you need him to understand they did the wrong thing. You need him to take accountability for that. You need him to know he's not going to do it again and make you look bad. But uh, uh yeah it was it was uh yeah it was just one of those plays. Anyway Uh, let's talk a little bit about blitzes and stunts so we can move on. He used to blitz fairly sparingly. And one thing we've seen is that uh, most of McDonald's blitzes are coming from inside linebackers. So they blitzed a total of 10 times, sorry, 11 rushers split over 10 plays. So they did one double blitz from Roquan and uh, and Patrick Queen. And they did, uh, um, all of them were Roquan or Patrick Queen, except for Humphreys' two blitzes, which came off the slot. So, uh, otherwise they, everybody who was at the line of scrimmage within a yard and a half of it inside the slot receiver was, was already identifying or telegraphing their, their desire to blitz ahead of time. Uh, they did have some good success though, uh, on those, on those 10 blitzes. They certainly got a lot of pressure events off those. I'm uh, just reading down them. They got quarterback at 93 sack 50 pressure, 18 pressure, six and sack 50 ATS. That's not good. Pressure 14 and sack 44 pressure 99, ball out quick, ball out quick and pressure 44. It's a pretty good run of 10 plays to to do that.
3: Yeah, and I think in some of at least one or two of those blitzes you had a combination of the blitz with a stunt. Um the first sack by Houston was, you know, Patrick Queen coming in and and taking out um the guard. Um I think he also occupied the the running back Kamara who was in blocking and that allowed Houston to like stunt around and get a clean um, hit on on Dalton t- for that first sack, um, and I think there was a similar play with with Roquan Smith where he where he blitzed and occupied and and or pushed the you know the the offensive lineman back and allowed Houston to to get off of his block and and sack a Dalton mm-hmm. who was flushed by by Roquan Smith. So like th- that's a type of you know complimentary you know pass rush that you like to see, and 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 I think you know being able to not always be the guy who gets to the quarterback, but affecting the quarterback or affecting an offensive lineman and allowing another defensive player to get there and and finish him. Um, That's something that we haven't always seen from this Ravens defense, but being able to finish those plays and and collect the sack has been, has been nice to see so far this season.
2: Yeah. The, the, this was a a poster child game from Houston of every single big play he made was dependent on another player. He didn't have any one-on-one, you know, Aaron Donald kind of wins. You can't stop me, even if you know exactly where I'm going. Kind of, kind of thing. These he didn't have any of those. Um, what he had, and and I, I want to go through those four because I think it's worth just talking a, a, about that just to start with. But his his four, he had the first the end of the first quarter. He had got a pick from Patrick Queen that was just unbelievable, and he then uh, stunted. Through the gap where uh, where Queen had taken out Pete and Kamara for an, a sack minus eight. So while that you know I, I I love the fact that Houston took advantage of that situation. Patrick Queen may, really made that play. It's it, you know it's fair enough to say second sack cleanup off initial pressure from Queen. Now I love cleanup sacks. I want high motor Michael McCrary guys all over the field. But in order to do that, you have to have some initial pressure, or you have to have great coverage on the back end to get those guys to finish. And and so you need to have somebody, and that's that's a lot of what Queen gives you, is a, a oftentimes a chance at a fast pressure early. Doesn't always take the quarterback down. Doesn't always you know even get exactly the spot. But if you can make the quarterback move as he did in this particular case, he created an opportunity for for Houston for that sack minus two. So that was his second one. Anything to say about those four two? I don't want to go through all these until you have a chance.
3: No, I mean I, I think those two plays like I previously kind of described I th- i thought the first the second one was was roquan but it, you're i'm sure you're right it was, it was patrick queen um but th- that's exactly the type of you know if, if you can't get to the quarterback you, you're not even always asked to get to the quarterback on the first mm-hmm. one the patrick queen like his job was to, to open yeah. up that lane and he did it perfectly the second one i think you know he's trying to you know, actually get there and and maybe the offensive lineman got in his way, but he was able to still affect the quarterback and then getting the cleanup sack by Houston. That's great. Um, I, you know, as we're talking about this, people love to look at PFF grades. They didn't give Justin Houston a great grade in this game, but we're discussing why, because, you know, he was the beneficiary of what the other players around him did. Like I think he had one really nice clean rush that he had, and we'll talk about that in the next one, I'm sure where Clays Campbell actually finished off the play, mm-hmm. but he wasn't necessarily winning every single matchup in this game and he, he didn't have a ton of like pass rush wins potentially because of that, but you know he, he was he still benefited from the overall scheme the overall play of the defensive front so that that's that's exactly what it matters here
2: yeah and and that I think in a nutshell that's that's why he didn't get a great grade from uh from PFF his overall pressure weight wasn't that great and he didn't have pressures that he didn't finish. So that was that was you know that's that's great by the way. Don't let's not complain about him having a game where he actually picks up two and a half sacks and an interception and otherwise doesn't have a pressure. That's fine. I'll take it every every week. Get into Q4 1404. I want to go over these last two plays real quick. You kind of mentioned this one already, but he actually um uh got got there first and how did he get there? It was uh, he was I, I I don't have how he exactly beat uh, his man to get to the quarterback, but he got to Dalton first and turned him. Well, Turning the guy, even if you kind of miss the tackle, turning the quarterback is usually death for the quarterback. They're going down. They might have to roll left. It's Andy Dalton. He's not going to be real fast. He's going to have a lot of trouble getting rid of the ball. But as soon as he's turned, you got it. It's kind of like turning a running back in the backfield. You, you on a missed tackle. It's usually a a big win for the defense. Well, in that play, he 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 didn't completely lose his grip, but he looked like he was in the process that Dalton was going to get free with him. But then Campbell came back with one of the most devastating quarterback hits. From behind, you'll ever see. I don't know what they're talking about in terms of that being a you know an unclean hit. That would just been completely crap call. If if they didn't lay his weight on him, he let his hands up, didn't hit him with the helmet, didn't hit him low, didn't hit him late. He wasn't even down. So I, I don't know how you could have called it a roughing the passer, but it was just that hard <laughs> that it seemed like
3: maybe. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a devastating hit by Campbell. I mean that that was. I thought Dalton might've been out of the game after that. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but, but that play, like you said, that was, that was Houston. I think, you know, he did just win his matchup in that one. Uh, Bowser, I think was lined up outside of him in like a wide nine alignment. And he took the outside rush lane. And then, and then that allowed Houston to kind of get by between the tackle and the guard. There was a lane that opened up and he was able to just beat the, the guard with, with quickness essentially. Um, and immediate pressure in Dalton's face, um, like you said, turned him around, and then then Campbell was able to finish it. Um, so I th- I think that was probably his best individual pass rush he probably had in this game. Um, but and th- and that kind of just goes to show you the kind of ability that you have when you have two outside linebackers. You can win with that kind of like quickness yeah. and have one guy who threatens the edge and another who's coming, you know, next to him having multiple outside linebackers allows you to do that if they're, if they're able to win those one-on-ones and that that's, what's, you know, really exciting about this, this ability of the, the Ravens defense moving forward.
2: You had it exactly right. By the way, it's Throckmorton who he beat and it was from the inside. And this, that is a reason to get really excited. Uh, I want to go to the fourth play real quickly. Cause that was a Q4, 831. And, and that was urban getting in and urban d- did a combination move. And he's very good at this, by the way, urban will get some penetration by bull rush typically against his opponent often as a three tech sometimes as a one but often as a three when he's in there on a on a passing down and he'll get enough penetration that he knows well i'm not there yet but i can get my hands up and hey i'm six seven he got his hands up this time ball pops up in the air justin houston found it somehow uh and managed to collect it with his total body it <laughs> went it pretty much slipped down to his knees before he could control it but but Anyway, I, I shouldn't even make fun of this. Great play by Houston, great play by Urban in particular to to deflect that ball.
3: Yeah, I mean Houston was in the right position, but I think great awareness, you know, we talked about that earlier with Hamilton being able to locate the ball, come down with it. That's not an easy thing to do in, in those mm-hmm. tight, you know, areas. Um so especially for someone like Justin Houston, he's, he's not a defensive back. He doesn't have probably the same number of, of tip drills that he would go through as, as someone who's playing, you know, in the secondary would have. So that that was a great play, obviously, you know, an important part of the game, I think, to get that play, to really kind of seal it away. Yeah. Um, and in in the Saints territory being able to quickly turn that convert that into a touchdown was huge and and at that point the g- the game was essentially over after after being able to convert that into a touchdown so really really important um, play in this game and you know it was probably unlikely that the Saints were going to come back but that definitely sealed it so that's what this defense I think is going to be looking to do make those game changing interceptions those game changing sacks late in the second half of the game when when you have that two score lead and just put the game away and then, I, I, you
2: know, eyes in the backfield is, is what I think is going to be very valuable for this team. I'm just saying it a different way than you just did. But uh, it, the dime defense and what they can do with that. And they didn't, you know, they didn't do it with dime primarily in this game. They mostly did it with variations on that big nickel and having, having Hamilton on the field as the slot corner. Um, you know, they, they had multiple ways to, uh, to find that football in the air. But uh any anyway, the point I was making about the complimentary pass rushes here, and there there's one other play too that was Hamilton's, I'm sorry, Humphreys um, sack was set up by Hamilton's frontside pressure, which we talked about in the first episode, but is something that that uh was another complimentary pressure. The Ravens, they would love to get home with some beautiful big one-on-one wins, you know, have Adafe OA suddenly be, you know, generating one of these per game, or have a Chris Jones or or a Aaron Donald who can do it from the inside. T.J. Watt, they don't have that guy. They, they, even Justin Houston is not really that guy. Justin Houston, tremendously opportunistic. He'll occasionally give you one of those plays, but he's not a one-per-game guy, and, and very few guys in the NFL are a one-per-game opportunity guy like that. So yeah, they're, they're getting home in complementary ways. They've got a good secondary. They're built back to front, and that really gives them opportunities to play off each other and get these team sacks uh, that involve two-plus players uh, oftentimes they involve a secondary too in, in Dalton not being able to take that first read. Um, but they, they oftentimes involve two guys close to the line of scrimmage combining and, and, and uh, and working together to create pass rush.
3: Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why we've seen the Ravens sack totals improve this year um, is because of that ability of the secondary to kind of, keep the quarterback from seeing an open receiver for a half second, mm-hmm. second longer. I think, you know, having more more zone coverage actually makes the quarterback kind of go through Warrior. progressions a little bit longer, sit a little bit longer in the pocket. And that allows some of these these sacks to, 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 you know, add up. And Ravens are actually on pace to have about 50 sacks this season, which is a pretty significant increase over the past, you know, I don't know, four or five years where they've been kind of in the low 40s 40 range um whether or not that's going to be you know a huge impact on you know how we can evaluate you know the ability of the overall defense i think you know they have been able to get pressures in the past they have gotten quarterback hits they haven't necessarily converted those into sacks but you know sacks are a more impactful play in general Mm -hmm. because of the the guardage lost um so obviously the opportunity for a a sack fumble as well comes, comes with that. So I think these are, you know, plays that are going to help turn this defense into a more formidable kind of, you know, third and fourth quarter defense when, when the Ravens are playing with the lead because of of that ability to to get these negative plays more frequently.
2: Yeah. Uh, We we did talk a little bit about that in the first episode, the barbelling of results uh, favors the defense. If if all plays are average, the offense wins from them. If, if, if the plays are at different ends of the spectrum, go, leading to the same average overall, then the defense is winning because they can get off the field in three downs uh, and, and uh, you know, have more success that way. Obviously, it's still going to be usually about two-thirds of the time the offense is going to get a first down, when they, another first down, when they get a first down.
4: You may have started to notice the strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. But that's not beer. That's why it's in the water section. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is this water called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. And their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans help to bring a death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I love my Liquid Death. I'm taking it to work every day, throwing it in the backpack, Yesterday, I had a Zoom meeting. There's nothing like getting on a Zoom meeting at 9 a.m. and cracking open a Liquid Death and watching the other screens as people try to figure out what you're drinking that early in the morning on a work call. So go on over, check out Liquid Death. Pick it up yourself and go on over and get it at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com forward slash film study.
2: So, you know, series has just succeeded at a fairly high rate. So the defense has to, has to be kind of satisfied to kind of be patient a little bit, make a big play that can come in the form of a penalty, you know, a sack, certainly can come in the form of turnover, multiple incomplete passes can do it. Um, but you, you, you generally, you need to have something like that occur to stop a drive and, and defenses have to gamble to get it and so the, the teams that understand it and get it i think uh you know tend to have the the really with it defensive coordinators who uh, uh who get the job done let's move on talk about some individual players okay
3: yeah uh, so yeah
2: definitely you you are the guest my friend T- tell me who you want to talk about and we'll start there
3: so you know i'll talk about the player that we've we've mentioned a couple times and i think um is a really interesting player to consider because he's new to the team and that's Roquan Smith. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect out of him. Um, I, I've watched him on film. I've, I've watched a bunch of Chicago bears games um, and he is someone who is, you know, he, he's all over the field. Like he's making plays here and there. Sometimes he misses plays. Um, but I, I think that what we saw in, in this game, if this is, you know, Roquan Smith at his best, in some sense, I think he might be one of the missing pieces that is able to elevate this defense to another level because he does allow you to do more things in terms of of coverage, um, both in zone and in and in man. Um, he is a hard thumping blitzer. He he can you know be physical in in tackling. He's a very good tackler. Uh, he had a great tackle on Alvin Kamara in this game out in the open space. It, it looked like he might have even gone for a touchdown if he hadn't made that play because he was really the only guy on that side of the field. And he stopped him for basically a one yard gain. Um, You know, that's the kind of play we've seen Ravens linebackers not make in the past. Um, So I think just those abilities that, that speed to make plays like that, the fundamentals and tackling the ability to blitz, the ability to drop into coverage, having, you know, two linebackers who are able to work together synergistically as Patrick Queen has kind of grown into his role he's improved i think this season quite a bit over what we've seen from him in the past um i think that really elevates what this defense can be and you know seeing him just immediately come in and have that role um and and look comfortable being on on this team and in this defense was was really fun to watch
2: yeah i i agree couldn't outstanding stuff i agree with everything you said and and you know there's there's two things i would add and the first is that We haven't even seen the whole Roquan Smith package yet because he he didn't play all the plays. They sat him on on some high leverage downs where they put Patrick Queen in instead. And I kind of suspect that's not what's going to happen because uh, they have paid a huge premium for Roquan. They probably not only want to get value out of him this year, want to demonstrate his value to the rest of the league if he goes, but also want to make sure that if they sign him, he's the right guy who can play within their defense on all three downs. It's possible they'll even give him the green dot. He certainly had it in Chicago, and if he has that, then they're really going to expect him to play every single down. So so you have that. So I don't think we've seen the whole Roquan Smith package yet. I think we saw one thing – well, I mean, we saw lots of things I really liked, and you mentioned a lot of them, so I'm not going to go over them again. But the the high tackle rate is is very key. I want to see a guy who doesn't miss tackles. One full game – one not full game of five tackles with no misses – that's a great place to start. I'll, I'll just say that from there. But the other thing I liked was he and Patrick Queen already seemed to have some games they're playing um, on blitzes where Roquan was was up um, on the line of scrimmage some, and Patrick was also up on the line of scrimmage some with one off, one one back, and they would often switch off from that into who dropped and who would blitz. So a lot of the you know I mentioned there were um, nine of the eleven Ravens blitzes came from those two players. And it was a lot of alternating the the guy who was up uh, and back to do that. So you had Rokon on the line; he drops the coverage, and 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 Queen. So anyway, I, I just I like to see that they work together on that. I don't know whether McDonald has called it that way, or they have some freedom on the field to decide how they'll implement it in place. I, I, but uh, but whatever the case, I I thought that was a good way to try and confuse. An opponent, and I think they'll—they'll they'll not only will they have that as a starting point, they'll have other ways too that they could figure out how to confuse him. I think we saw an effective pass rush game out of Patrick Queen, not necessarily in terms of his personal production, but in terms of what he did to help others—you um, know—make the ultimate impact in this one. So I, I really like uh, the impact he had. Also, zero zero missed tackles from Patrick Queen in this game too.
3: Yeah, that's definitely you know something we like to see. um, something that he struggled with in the past. Um, and it, if you know, have having Roquan Smith in the, in the, in the building, maybe that is, you know, lighting a fire under him to a certain extent yeah. to say, you know, this is someone who to a certain extent might be competition for a role in the future of the team. Like we, we don't know how that's going to shake out. Um, you know, the Ravens are going to have an option to sign uh, Roquan Smith in the off season. They're going to have an option to give the fifth year to Patrick Queen, which, Looks probably likely that they will. I think at this point, but if they sign Roquan, maybe not. So, it's you know, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how how that plays out.
2: So, you bring up an interesting point. Do you think it is one or the other? I mean, the team has other needs in terms of salary signings of of note. Yeah. So, if so uh, you know, is it either Roquan or the fifth year option for Patrick Queen?
3: I don't think it has to be. Um, I mean, there's things you can do with a salary cap that you can keep both of those players. I don't think you're going to have both of them long-term on the team. I'll I'll put it that way. But I I do think there's a a scenario where you can have Patrick Queen for that fifth-year option. The linebacker position is not terribly expensive as it is for some of the other uh, positions. So um, I think that might be worth... Pursuing with Queen, especially if he continues to play at the level we've seen over the past, you know, four to five weeks over the rest of the course of the season, I think it's worth giving him that. Regardless of whether or not you keep Roquan,
2: he's definitely taking a taking a substantial step forward. And we saw good things in coverage from him. Uh, the, the The PD on the right sideline, he was there fairly well timed up with the uh, receiver back. I'm trying to remember who that was. I think it was Kamara.
3: And okay. he might've gone there about a half second early, but you know, I'll t- we'll take it. Yeah. It was There's, maybe makeup call from the, the earlier pass interference on, on um, Chuck Clark. That was terribly, terribly incorrect.
2: There you go. There you go. That that needs to be mentioned in every episode we do this week, right? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it probably will be. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, mentioning Queens success in this one, What the one thing he didn't have was any really effective run stops. Most of his tackles were down the field a little bit. Um, That's Okay you know he had more of a coverage responsibility in this game and a pass rush responsibility and i think in a lot of ways uh that may suit him we'll see how how it evolves uh it could be that patrick queen becomes a great sideline to sideline tackler when they play the cleveland browns say or they play um the bengals the next time and joe mixon is still effective as he certainly was on sunday against the panthers so i i think there, there there's certainly room for both of them to be good on this team and i'm just i'm absolutely loving the combined depth they give the Ravens an inside linebacker and some of the eyedroppering of snaps that that comes out of this with, you know, Hamilton or Clark or somebody else, you know, having difficulty getting on the field and difficult difficulties. I mean, honestly, the, the Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen competition is affecting how the Ravens can impact slot corner because they're able to play Hamilton there in the slot corner, get a lot of value out of him in the Saints game. And I don't think after that success that's going to stop i think they're going to they're going to stick with that for at least one more game and see what they got
3: yeah I, I mean i think that makes sense um i think having in essence your best players on the field as much as you possibly can is is the best way to go um as, as long as they're not completely out of their level of comfort zone that that probably is where you're going to be the most effective that you can be on defense so i think yeah having you know all three of those players out there it, may, it makes sense for them Pick us another player we want to talk about. Um, well, you know, I talked about one player who was, you know, making his first appearance. So I'll, I'll talk about the other player who made his first appearance of the season. That's Hayes Bowser. Um, and we, we talked to, uh, also a little bit about him, kind of the versatility that he brings to, to this defense. Um, he's been a player I, I've loved to watch over, over the past few years grow into his role. Um, his, his ability and coverage is, is really unparalleled for an outside linebacker in this Mm -hmm. league. Um, he he is exceptional in his ability, not just to play zone coverage, but to man up on a tight end or, or even a running back. Um, he's extremely nimble and fluid in space. Um, and you know, we, we saw him do that a little bit in this game. Um, you know, I, I think he's still kind of getting his feet wet, but he, he, he had a pretty big role. I mean. Justin or Jason Pierre-Paul, he left in the first half and, you know, Bowser took on a pretty decent share of snaps. And I think um, we're going to continue to see him out there probably 50%, if not more of the snaps moving forward. And he's someone I think who the Ravens definitely want to have out there as much as possible.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I think they will. First of all, it just opens up the other outside linebackers to play whatever role is best for them. Because whoever's been playing Sam so far, they've been playing out of position. And it's mostly been dafe Owe, which I think has been a real, a real shame given, you know, what a talent he is to have him playing out of position. And uh, I think if when Owe goes back to rush linebacker, most of the time, uh, you know, is able to to worry about beating a tackle one on one as his primary role, I think that's where he's gonna be most effective. And and uh you know, in a lot of ways, that's what that's what the big gain is from Bowser. Bowser didn't have a um A big pass rush event in this game, other than the fourth play of the game, I guess, when he rushed off the edge, unblocked, nice controlled manner. I really like to see that because Dalton wasn't in any position to get rid of the ball profitably. And he, I think could kind of detect that. He didn't let Dalton loop out of there and, and either get extra time or be able to run for the first down himself. Just a very great controlled rush late on in the game. He had a very hard QH that kind of was, was not caught on camera, but it was on a 19 yard play and they were focusing on the pass um, but you could tell that it that had to be a very hard hit from the way Dalton was grimacing around and mm-hmm. Bowser was celebrating after a 19-yard play. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, I went here and here kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, it's just is one of those things. Anyway, love, love the way Tyus played in this game.
3: Yeah. And he, I mean, he, he, like I said earlier, he looked like he's someone who's just ready. Like he didn't look like he had any limitations to him. He looked healthy. He looked, Nimble, um, and I think I'm excited to just to see you know him out there because he's a fun player to watch. He's he's probably not their best pass rusher, but you know that ability to pass rush and drop is is something that is, is a unique skill set. And like you said, Sam linebacker position that takes that role off of always play, and that that in its own right is, is invaluable.
2: Uh, it's my turn. Yeah, you went with with uh, Tyus. Let's go with Calais Campbell, ageless wonder that he is. You know, he still leads this defense, defensive line in percentage of snaps played, even though he missed a game. So Matty BK is at 57 and a half, He's at 58.4. If he, people are going to look at Calais Campbell's snap percentage over his career, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, he did kind of start to drop off in terms of snap percentage when he came to Baltimore. He's 36 years old. I mean, he's he's uh, he had a graphic up there in the game. He's the oldest player in the entire national football league to play a defensive snap this year. Wow. So, <laughs> is enough. But he hasn't played one snap. <laughs> he's played a little more than that, and he still is making. He, he's he's constantly on my star treatment sheet because he 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 makes the most noteworthy plays, and that's usually how I decide it. Is you know I look over into. Let's tell you how we take the notes here. So Maureen and I do it together. We write down the the, the time reference on the left-hand column. The next column is all the Ravens involved in the play. And then we describe the play as thoroughly as we can in in, in terms of what happened. And, And it's those notes condensed in some form that you see in the star treatment portion of my articles if you read those. So I look in that second column, which is the index column. And I'm looking for all the times that 93 appears in it. And just every freaking game, he's got, you know, yeah. eight, 10, 15 notes sometime where he's, he's in things. And they aren't all good. Sometimes you know he gets blocked on a run play, and I'm recording that. But most of the time it's it's you know, great stuff where he's he's uh penetrating and maybe not making the stat himself, but he blows up the run play for somebody else. And so we already talked about the quote about the sack he had where he he might have been. He might've gotten used out of half a sack on that play. Certainly he, he did the more damage of the two players. He had a quarterback hit on Dalton on a, on a 12 yard pass. Uh, he batted down a pass. seems to do that a fair amount of the time. And then what else did he do? He had that R uh, that he had the, the, the run takedown for minus four on Kamara as well. So just like a, a smorgasbord of varied contributions again for, uh, uh, for Campbell, he's, how would you feel about it, particularly if Campbell plays next year with the Ravens and has a similar year? If Campbell makes the Ring of Honor with this team.
3: I mean, I, I don't I don't know off the top of my head how many players have, have made it on just, you know, three or four seasons with the team. Um Ancon Bolden, maybe, is is a name that he might be there. Um, but that's that's a pretty rarefied air. But I, I mean yeah. he, he has been probably the ravens best defensive player over the his tenure with the team. Like he he's been that guy consistently and you you just said it. like every single game he's the player who's constantly making plays, splash plays, sacks, quarterback hits, what, whatever it might be, he's that one consistent factor that game in and game out you can depend on Clayes Campbell to to be making an impact. And he's it's phenomenal what he's doing at at this stretch of his career. You know, he he he's still just impacting the game at so many levels. One thing that was interesting, I was looking at the snap count in this game, and he played a lot more pass rush than run defense snaps. Um, and I think that's probably the best way to use him. Um, because he, I mean, not saying he's bad at run defense, but he's very good at run defender. But if you can use him as, as your pass rusher, as that guy on the inside who can push the pocket and get his hands up and, and get in passing lanes, that's probably where he's at his best, especially with you have guys like project Washington or, or Travis Jones, you can take some of those, you know, run defense snaps away from him. So I think, yes, you know, anytime he's not on the field, you're probably worse, but if you do have to choose, I'd have him as, as a pass rusher more than a run defender.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's uh that's a, that's a, first of all, I completely agree with the the usage that at this point, when you're having to make choices about when he can snap, you have to try to make the choice of McPhee, as I call it. McPhee was the Ravens' best run defending outside linebacker when he was last year. And he's also their best pass rusher, probably. And he could, you could, he's a guy you could move inside as a chess piece, get extra pass rusher on the field. The problem is, you really want McPhee on the field for every snap, <laughs> and you just can't do it. So, with Clayus Campbell, I think they, they have to make some choices. And and I, I would agree with you that they're taking him off against the run where you have a choice like Brent Urban to go in for him, or, uh, you know, Jones is really going to play the nose tackle spot. So, it's really, a, a, it's either Urban or Washington who mm-hmm. would go in in his place. And, uh, yeah, they're, uh, Uh, they're good choices as well. They've played well. I think it's your turn.
3: Oh, it's my turn again. Um, You know, let's go into the secondary. Um, We've already talked a lot about Hamilton. So maybe we don't have to touch on him. Um, I, I would just mention Marlon Humphrey. You know, he's another guy. I would say I'd put him up there. Maybe just a notch below Campbell as one of the impactful guys week in and week out. He's whether he's, you know, forcing a fumble like we saw back in 2020 on seemingly every other game or you know he's had a couple of big interceptions this season um you know he had a nice you know uh, pass rush got a sack and an important third down in this game like he's just someone who is really taking on that role of being the guy who makes a play for you in the secondary when you need it um mm-hmm. you know had a really nice pass coverage against chris Olave didn't let a touchdown potentially happen there. If you need to put him on the opponent's best, you know, wide receiver, he has the ability to do that. I think he's just that kind of joker, almost in your secondary. You can move around, do a lot of different things with, and he's he's going to excel in pretty much everything you put him in.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. He's a wild card. He he uh he he can. You can do that. I, I, the The guy I have on from PFF uh, every so often to to do the Ravens because he's a Ravens fan is PFF Gordon Gordon McGinnis, mm-hmm. and and he he talks about Humphrey. He says Humphrey might be the best slot cornerback in the league, but but he also agrees that 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 Humphrey would be even better on the outside. And so you, you kind of have to use him where you need him. You hope that doesn't mean he his physicality will be in any way limited by being on the inside, and it's not like. I mean, he could play downhill, he can rush the passer. We just saw that in this game, you know, if, if he's uh, in a slot position. So you have different options in terms of how you can use him from there, but I don't think you get quite the usage of those baseball bat arms at the catch point. If he's in the slot, I just don't think you, you, you typically get that. And you you certainly don't get the physicality to use the boundary the way he and Peters are both very good with Peters is a slighter human being, but is is a, uh, is very capable of using the boundary, uh, you know, and very very savvy in terms of, of of how to use that as an extra defender. So I, I I love what Humphrey has done. I love the the fact that they have rushed him twice in this game, and they got a sack and a pressure on the on the two times they did it. So they they got paid off uh, certainly on doing it. I think whenever you can, it's a combination of I don't mind keeping a keeping a. A cornerback happy if he occasionally wants to rush the passer. And something tells me Humphrey probably, probably really <laughs> loves it when he, when he gets an opportunity to get a sack, but even, even if he didn't, he's an outstanding weapon from there. And, and you gotta, you gotta consider using it anytime, even if you're slightly making a sacrifice to your pass rush to do so, to your coverage to do so.
3: Yeah. I mean, he, he seemed really excited when he got that sack and in, in this game. So he, I think it's definitely something that he wants to get um, in there every once in a while. And, you know, he, I think he disguised it really well on on that on that blitz that he did have, and it, I think the alignment of the offense helped him out a little bit. They kind of had a bunch formation to the left, and he was able to come basically completely missed un- unblocked, and um, th- that was probably one of the easier sacks he'll, he'll ever have. But like you said, also how Hamilton affected that play, and he took the attention of, of Dalton, forced him to you know pat the ball for a second. Um and that that allowed Humphrey to get Humphrey to get there. So, um, I think a really good play call. Um, having you know your two defensive backs come off come off the edge, not something you see a, a lot. Uh, we've seen a couple times with McDonald's. So, um, I'd like to see those those plays. It's generally they've they've ended up pretty well for the defense when they've done those types of blitzes.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, I'm I think I'm next. Maybe I'll finish it up. Maybe you'll have one more after this. But Brent Urban uh, is one guy I really want to mention. Only was in the game for twelve snaps okay so that's 12 snaps that didn't end in a penalty so it might be a slightly higher total if you look at the game book um but he had two really impactful plays we all we both saw him you know both bull Throckmorton the right guard and then get his hands up that's a combination move he's got to do he can't just sit there wait for Dalton at his normal depth or Dalton probably gets the ball over top of him and he's got to actually make progress in with a bull rush against Throckmorton to then get his hands up to maximize his chances to get in that throwing kind of a, a, a path of the football, we'll call it. Um, but it's it's it was just one of these things where he did the right things both ways. He really got paid up with it, paid off with the deflection up in the air when when Houston came down with it. Great to see him do that. He doesn't play all that much. He used to be an absolute iron man when he was here the last time around for the Ravens in terms of playing over 50% of the snaps, being a huge portion of the run defense. He's not that anymore, but he's still a valuable component of the offensive line, a valuable guy to get Calais Campbell off the field for some snaps on early downs as well. But there was another play he was in for, and that was the third and one stop against Kamara. And what he did on that play is that he beat the tight end Troutman inside? Okay, by doing that, he forced Troutman first of all to block him in a in a funny way and didn't didn't get much of a block off at all on him because he really beat him cleanly to the inside. Um, but by getting that penetration, um, frees up Troutman. Troutman's removed from the line of scrimmage effectively. He funneled the play to be between. Let's see who held the edge. I think it was Malik Harrison held the edge on that play against the left tackle. And then it couldn't have been the left tackle. Could it have been, but Malik Harrison held the left edge against whoever had the block, Might have been the pulling guard, pulling guard of the play. So, and, and then uh, uh, urban funneled that play back up to the middle where Roquan Smith and Marlon Humphrey were both right there to pick it up. And it's more complimentary football. Urban is not generally going to be the guy who's going to be recognized as making that play. But he and Harrison both had a significant uh, contribution to making that play by sealing the edge, by by getting the play blown up on the inside so that that was really the only place that he could run without completely reversing his field somehow. And, you know, the Ravens were right there to stop it. And it was one of the very big plays of the game, particularly early when the game was still in doubt.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Brent Urban has been a nice rotational piece for this team. I like think you said he's not the Man. He's not out there for, you know, 50, 60% of snaps like he had been earlier on in his career. But I think he does have a valuable role in being able to take some of those, that burden off of guys like Campbell and, and Matabike um, and being able to, you know, take some of those tougher snaps um, if needed. And, you know, he he is someone who can still make an impact. Um, and, and that's something that I think is, is, important to have a defensive line where every single player you put in you have someone who can actually still go make plays for you I think in years past we've had defensive linemen who have just kind of been out there been bodies but they haven't really been able to actually positively impact the play Uh, I think this team this defensive line it's deep all the way Mm -hmm. through and every single one of those players is 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 in their own sense a playmaker and is able to to be a really uh, impactful player when he's on the field
2: yeah, that's a great point. In terms of in particular, in terms of who the least player is in that group, I feel good. I feel better about whoever that is. And I'm not even sure who it is. I'm not sure if it's Urban. I'm not sure if it's Washington. I'm not sure if it's Jones right now. I don't think it's be or Campbell. I think they're they're probably the two best ones. But but I whoever is least that that's a hell of a player. You know, if it to, to have as your fifth defensive lineman, your fourth defensive lineman is good. Your third defensive lineman is good you know your first and second they're not maybe going to contribute you know contribute as much as the very best defensive lineman in the league but they're both pretty good so it's it's an exciting group to top to bottom and certainly in terms of of that minimum standard of quality i think it makes it
3: one more player i just sure, if you are. real quick real quick yeah. um i just want to mention Justin Matavike. i mean we we've caught his name a few times i think he had another really good game and he's i think obviously been very good for the ravens this year he's he's been He's he's not like an elite defensive tackle at this point in his career. I mean, you see moments of flashes where he's like, "Wow, that's that's a really impressive play that we just just saw from Adam BK. I think there's still a level of consistency that I'd like to see him get to. Um, but I, I think he's just someone who is continuing to get better, and he's continuing to to grow into his role on this team. And he's someone that I really hope the Ravens can kind of build on moving forward, and you know, extend hopefully as one of their core pieces of the defense, because I think he is someone that you can build around um, and he, and he's still young and he's still improving. And I think he's someone that just you can count on pretty much week in and week out to, to make a couple plays for you, whether it's in the pass rush or run defense, um, you know, hustling to, to get to chase down a screen or, or whatever it may be. He's, he's definitely one of the Ravens most, most active defensive linemen and it's really good to see him. You continue to grow in that role. Yeah,
2: it's uh, uh, outstanding, and and, and I, Abike makes plays every game. Uh, they don't always show up on the stat sheet. They're kind of like Campbell uh, a lot of the time that a lot of his tackles he creates for somebody else, but he's been a good one-on-one pass rush winner. He's been an explosive three-tech, and he's been what the Ravens, uh, I think, could have reasonably hoped out of the draft pick. He's had a good, good career growth trajectory so far. I expect him to be a very good player in year four, and for the rest of this year, frankly, I mean, the Ravens really need him to be one of their leaders uh, for the rest of this year. Yep. Let's, let's move on, do a little bit of mailbag here before we, before we cut off. You still got time for this? Yep. Still mailbag. Outstanding. Let's do the mailbag. So uh, if you want to go over to hashtag film study mailbag, that's where we're collecting the questions. If you'd like to uh, do something to, to, for the offense, I'll be talking about that tomorrow afternoon. Don't know if you've listened to this or not by, by the time, but use your hashtag film study mailbag next week, if, if so. And if you would go over there on Twitter and and we can kind of alternate picking a question to, to kind of answer, that'd be great. Uh, I, I'll, I'll go with the first one. This comes from Raymond Dirks, who says, do you think the fine uh, the signing of Roquan Smith in 2023? No, I'm sorry. I haven't got this right. Do you think they finance, meaning the Ravens finance, the signing of Roquan Smith in 2023 by saying goodbye to Peters?
3: So that's an interesting question. Um I've I've given a lot of consideration actually to the the Ravens upcoming free agency period because um you know with with Roquan Smith um addition as as an upcoming looming free agent with Ben Powers playing better um obviously Lamar Jackson you you have more players um that you potentially want to retain than it might have looked like going into the season. Um I I I think there is room to keep them both. But you're going to have to do some cap gymnastics. You're going to have to extend a couple of players. You know, maybe it's a Mark Andrews, maybe it's a Marlon Humphrey. Um, there are going to be some of your bigger cap hits next year, and if you add on a few years to their contract, you can you know lower that initial cap hit. Um, so there are ways to kind of maintain more players if you want to. I think keeping your core players makes sense. Um, and I, I do think a player like Humphrey and, and Andrews and, and maybe even Stanley, if you feel comfortable with his with his injury history, um, those are all players you could potentially add more years to if you want to create that cap room. Um, if that's not a way that the Ravens front office wants to go with it, you do, you might have to make a decision there because, you know, Peters has not looked quite the same this year as he has in, in years past. It's not completely unnormal to come back and not be the same player after, after you tear your ACL. So, and he's also getting older. I think he's going to be um, going into his age 30 season. So, you know, you might make a choice and look at youth, but on the other side, you know, cornerback is a premier position and it's it's hard to find them. And, and Peters has been a good player for the Ravens. So it could be a tough decision. I think if you want to keep them both, you can, I think that's, that's the kind of the way I, I see it at least.
2: What do you think about Marcus Peters in the future being a free safety?
3: I mean he definitely has has the ball skills to do it. I don't think the Ravens need a free safety though. Um if if, if that was a hole that they were looking to fill, um maybe that is a transition for him, but you know you, you just signed Marcus Williams to a 5-year deal. Um so and he's that guy. He is your tried and true free safety. So I, I don't I don't see that really being uh, Peter's future. Yeah, I mean not here.
2: I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering if if some other team signs him. If this is the point in his career that he says, yep, uh, I'm, I'm ready to play free safety. It's a little more tackling responsibility, but, you know, he, he's looked good against the run this year. He's not really shied away from that, um, hasn't made every tackle, but he's been, you know, he's been as good as you can expect a cornerback to be. And probably, if anything, I'd rather have his head in there less, given how much the Ravens need him to be on the field the rest of the season. I'll take him prying the football loose while somebody else is making the tackle, like we saw with Oa in this game.
3: Yeah, I I I think Peters has played well in run defense um, this season, better than I've seen in the past. And I mean, there there might be some plays where he's he's missed, but you know, there's was it? um, There's one game in particular. It might have been the Cleveland game where he really stood out as someone who was making some plays um, against the run and being a very strong tackler. So I think you know he, he has that ability. I mean, you don't want him getting hurt, obviously, on those plays. But um, I think you know he he's still a good player for this team, and I'd like to keep him around if possible.
2: All right. Uh, do you want to pick a question? Do you want me to pick another one here?
3: Um, I can pick a question. I saw this one by um, uh, Mark. B. Redding, at, at Mark the Ravens. Um, and his question is that there seems like a trend that opposing offenses target the right flats between the second and third levels in key moments. Um, Any reference to New Orleans touchdown this past game? Um, what are some solutions to sealing that? And um, is there is there a way to kind of go about doing that without compromising other aspects of the defense? So I th- I think there's you know a couple of reasons why that area of the field is can be vulnerable um you know that's generally a a kind of a dead zone in your zone coverage you know between the second and third levels on 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 that side of the field um that can be vulnerable um and if if the Ravens especially you know in this game they were up you know, three scores and they're playing a pretty soft zone, and, and you're going to allow some of those areas to go uncovered. Obviously, this one you you wouldn't want that resulting in a touchdown, but I think that you know, you can vary your coverages a little bit more. Um, you can do some different things where you can you know move your your corners and your safeties you and do some inverted looks and and throw off you know what what the the quarterback is expecting, um, and. To some extent, you know, we talked about Marcus Peters. Some of it is is just Peters. You know, he's he's made a couple of gambles on plays. He's looked like he has been a uh, physician at times. Um, if if I think if he plays a a little bit more um, you know, tighter um, or, or pays a little bit closer attention to what's going on around him, some of those conversions might not go um, the way they have. So, I think you know there there is room to improve it, but. Um, and a certain extent it's just the nature of the defense and the way it's being called.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good explanation all the way around. And and one, one way to try and combat that, and honestly, this is gonna scare the hell out of a lot of quarterbacks, is to have Peters on the back end of cover three, where he's very comfortable. And you know, then you have an underneath player, and maybe your underneath player on on the way to that area on the field is Kyle Hamilton, who's enormous or you have a linebacker over there, and then that's probably, that's probably the matchup the quarterback is really looking for to take advantage of your linebacker that doesn't know what's happening between level two and level three. And most inside linebackers obviously have trouble with that. We hope Broquan has less. Um, and and uh, you know it's always going to be kind of a weak spot on the field, as, as you mentioned. But I think putting, putting Peters on the back end of cover three might be your best chance to scare the heck out of quarterbacks from throwing to that area directly.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a ball hawk. So if if he is, you know, looming and with eyes on the quarterback, it's something that that the quarterback will pay attention to. If he, if he's playing underneath, um, then th- that's probably a little less dangerous um, position and an mm-hmm. ability to kind of throw into that gap potentially behind him if he's playing in kind of like more of a cover two role. Um, that's that's more of a, a a typical dead zone that you know quarterbacks are looking to 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 take advantage of.
2: Great question there. I'll move on to another here. This one is from at Nikki622A. I hope that's not her apartment number or something, and she's putting in her Twitter handle. Probably wouldn't be a good idea for... But anyway, the question is this. How how do you see the divide of snaps with so many edge rushers? Same for inside linebacker with Also, do you see this as the end of Marcus Peters? Let me start with the last question. First, I don't see this as the end of Marcus Peters in terms of um, him playing here. The Ravens desperately need Peters and Humphrey to play at a high level the remainder of the season. There is literally no one else to play those outside corner spots that they they trust at this point. So will it be his last year in Baltimore? I think we've addressed that a little bit in terms of the earlier question about whether or not you can keep Roquan and Peters. Uh, Ravens certainly with with uh, you know, the contract of Jackson have a lot of competing objectives there, and I think it's possible You know, Peters could be left without a chair. Uh, potentially if they do that cornerback, then dry, you know, jumps to the top of the priority list for this team in terms of the draft next year.
3: Yeah, that I, I was, you know, thinking a little bit about that as well. Um, when I was considering the, you know, who the Ravens might want to, you know, go after in the, in this offseason in terms of their own free agents. Uh, if if they don't resign Peters, then cornerback is absolutely probably the number one priority. It's between cornerback and wide receiver probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I w- I would probably lean corner um, just because we have seen that you know wide receiver might not be a, a featured aspect of this of this offense. And you you would expect you know Rashad Babin to come back hopefully healthy mm-hmm. um going into year three um and he's still gonna be your wide receiver one. So. I, th- I think that, you know, you need to have somebody opposite of of Humphrey that you can count on, and if, if that has to come th- from the um the draft, and so be it. But I, I would probably prefer to keep Peters if you can get him at, at a reasonable deal.
2: Right, now let's talk about the inside linebacker snaps. Now, and that's something where this is a great question, Angela, Lots of stuff in here. Almost feel like I should you get you're getting three for the price of one here, but um at, at With Roquan and Queen, there really is a division that needs to be made because they both have been every-down players so far this year, obviously for two different teams, and they both can't typically be on the field if the Ravens are going to play dime defense. So there is a way. They could play some 32-dime, which would get them both on the field. But if the Ravens play a lot of dime, which I expect to be the case down the stretch, um, I think they would still be fairly well served to get one of the two of them off the field and get a better pure coverage player on. When you know the other team is passing, now, admittedly, you know they give you something in pass rush. They can give you something on passing downs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's somebody else who can do the pure coverage component better, and they're only a little bit less as a as a pass rush opportunist than either Queen or Roquan would be. You give up something; it's to run, and you probably don't care um, when you're playing dime late in the game.
3: Yeah, I I still think you're probably doing the. Best with one linebacker and your dime package, um, it probably gives you the most versatility in terms of what you can do in coverage. Um, I'd probably lean towards giving those snaps to Roquan, just based off of you know their career experience um, and their and their roles in coverage um, and how they've performed there. Um, I, I do think that Queen has made strides there, but I think Roquan gives you more options in terms of what he can do. Um, just his comfort level, his instincts, um, and his playmaking ability. Uh, I think th- I think you'd have to give the edge to him. Um, so it it might be a couple weeks before they're fully comfortable with him in that role, but I think by the end of the season, um, he's going to be the linebacker who's on the field in in those positions. Um, and then maybe you know, real quick, just to talk about the edge rusher. I. I Honestly, I think we've seen in the past a pretty even division um, among snaps along maybe like the top three or four guys. And then you have maybe a fifth edge rusher who's out there a little bit less. I think in that instance for this team, it would probably be Jason Pierre-Paul, who's kind of the odd man out. And you'd probably want to give the most snaps to OA um, Bowser and Houston, um, and then Ajabo will probably be a little bit less to being more of a pass rush specialist. I doubt you'd see him on on any early downs. So that's how I would see the edge uh, playing out.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think the the guy who's going to lose some snaps is Malik Harrison, who's played a played yeah. some edge, but I think you know he he played seven this last game. I think that number will probably drop if they're all healthy. Certainly if Ajabo is healthy. I think they'd rather uh you know do some things with him even though Harrison has has done some good edge setting for the Ravens and and could be valuable at least in that role. Um really appreciate the question. Uh really good uh set of questions there. I think we have to call it here for for the show. Uh Gabe, I think can't thank you enough for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk football with you. Uh, you know, get just over two hours of total content. Really appreciate that. And uh uh so much fun. It it, it never gets old.
3: Yeah, thanks again, Ken, for having me. I, I likewise enjoy these conversations every time I get to come on the show. Um, this was this was a fun one to talk about. A lot of really cool stuff we saw from the Ravens defense this week. Um so, and hopefully this is, you know, just one of a lot of future games where there's there's gonna be a lot of, you know good things to talk about about you know everything from from scheme to players to um you know the highlights that we, we see so um I I I'm on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. That's probably the, the best place to to reach out to me and have a conversation if you want. Um but then also I encourage you to check out our podcast, the Raven Situation Room at filmstudybaltimore dot com. Um, we'll have a, a show pretty much every week, unless, you know, there's some kind of scheduling issue, but um, we want to, you know, break down the game, talk about some of the schematic things we see, some of the play calling we see um, and just give our, you know, our takes on, on, on how, you know, the team is progressing. So um, appreciate any, you know, downloads and listen to that. And then any feedback you want to provide to myself or my co-host Jordan, uh, we'd love to hear that as well.
2: Give these two guys a follow right away after you get off the uh, uh, you get off your podcast or whatever, just go to Twitter Follow at Gabe Fergie, follow at Ravens sit room. Uh, they they don't have the following I would expect uh, so far. And they really have something to say about football that is, is very interesting. So you're missing out if you're not, if you're not following. Them. I don't, you guys probably don't even try and do anything to go get followers. And I've certainly got, got past that over years, uh, but it's something that, that uh, uh, you know, if if you want the best cohort of Ravens content producers out there and you want to have their thoughts coming across. Gabe provides a lot. Jordan provides a lot on a daily basis and and uh, it's worth giving these guys a, a follow. Appreciate other that, f- Ken. <laughs> no, no, no problem. After, uh, other than that, uh, other folks out there, if, if you'd like to get a film study short in, the time is right. I'm doing a bunch of them over the by. I have several planned, but I want to hear from you too, particularly if you're passionate about any topic related to the Ravens. It could be franchise building, individual position, but something fairly narrow um, that we can talk about, have a great one out there about a guy who's just entertaining the question seriously of whether or not the Ravens should trade Lamar for a big pa- parcel of picks and what would really make it worth it. And he does a yeah. You know, there's a very compelling argument. He's done his research and it's a great listen if you haven't listened to it, but it's, it's trade Lamar question mark is the, uh, the name of the podcast. If you want to go back and give that a listen, it's from at crazy Raven 88. If you want to give him a follow, so, uh, <laughs> He, he did a great job on it. Uh, uh,
3: Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, great, great talk. Uh, great win for the Ravens going into the bye week. I think it's, it's a great place to be. So um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, hopefully next time I'm on, we'll be coming talking about another Ravens win. How about a playoff win? Playoff win will I'd be even better.
2: <laughs> thanks again, Gabe. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.